there are many people in and across the university who are doing excellent work. In our Changemaker podcast series, we shine a light on some of our staff and partners and discover remarkable projects that are shaping society. In the UK, one in five of us suffer from incontinence and many don't get medical advice or support through fear of embarrassment. In this episode, Nikki Cottrell and Carla Southworth talk about the work they're doing to give control back to individuals through what they call continence promotion. As part of this, they've developed an app called the Confidence App, and this provides information that users can access discreetly without having to divulge symptoms to health professionals. Nikki is Professor of Continence Care at UE Bristol and Director of the Bladder and Bowel Confidence Health Integration Team, known as BABCON. Carla Southworth is Senior Project Manager for Bristol Health Partners, which supports a number of health integration teams in the southwest, including BABCON. So, Nikki, how did you first become interested in continence? I started by actually speaking to people about what it's like living with bladder and bowel leakage and hearing their stories and the fact that this is really hidden and that people don't know symptoms can be improved really grabbed me and I just thought this is something I can work to improve. So the difficulty with incontinence is it's kind of hidden in plain sight. So people often think they're the only person with those symptoms. And because it's such a taboo and we don't all go out and talk about our bladder and bowels generally. So the sort of misconceptions about the situation. So they're not on their own, that things can be improved and that there's education and advice and self-help out there is largely under the radar, but just because we don't talk about it enough. So incontinence refers to bladder or bowel leakage, essentially the inability to control the loss of urine and faeces. And often the perception is that that has to be a big event, you know, a really noticeable accident. But actually it relates to any level of leakage. So the occasional little, you know, little accident definitely counts as incontinence. It's just often not seen like that because of the label and the name. So we try to sort of refer to it as bladder and bowel leakage because that captures it more accurately. The other thing um, that sort of exists in this area is that people have a perception of who it affects, whereas actually it can affect children right through to older adults. It can affect men and women and for many and varied reasons along the way. So ultimately all of us could potentially experience incontinence at some point in our life. So the figures are roughly about one in five adults. In certain times like post-pregnancy that raises to one in three and certainly for older adults it increases in the um, frequency that it occurs but it doesn't mean it's only older adults that experience it. What we do know is that's kind of figures from the data and actually many more people are living with bladder and bowel leakage that aren't disclosing it because of the nature of the symptoms. So it's likely to be the tip of the iceberg. And the really important thing is about how it affects people on a daily basis. So the impact on your um, daily activities, your physical exercise, people stop running because they might have had a leak. And actually the knock-ons of that are that you're, you're not having the gains from being physically active and the mental health gains. People plan all the time. They have to carry spare underwear, spare pads, but, you know, a spare kit, they call it, and they map where the toilets are and they think about an invitation to go and join friends at the pub or that kind of thing because it's, well, where's the toilet and is this is this going to be a problem so it infiltrates every aspect of of life when you're living with bladder and bowel leakage 
The sort of origin of BabCon was that I held um, an engagement event called Best Bristol, which was about imagining Bristol being the best place to live if you had incontinence. And that was um, the health integration team, BabCon, came from that event. And that's how we then started working together. And essentially, I we drive all the kind of what we're going to do. And that's where we then started working together, isn't it? And yeah, so I sort of brought the, the project management and kind of system-wide kind of views and then you absolutely had all of the connections to build that network on the ground of everybody that was working in, in continents and so sort of bringing that together then enabled us to start to develop a plan of how we could tackle some of the issues that have come up through that Best Bristol event. Yeah, it's been absolutely critical that we've been part of Bristol Health Partners I think because otherwise we'd have been trying to do all these things individually and actually as a collective we're much stronger so it's been an absolute necessity. And the members of the team that they become part of this team on top of their day job so there's it's a real passion project and I think that's where the kind of support from the core team like myself comes in because we're able to provide um, that kind of project management and, and wider support to keep everything rolling because we're very conscious that everybody that that contributes to the team is doing it above and beyond and fitting it in around various other jobs that they have in, in the world of continents so we kind of sort of try to bring it together and, and steer it and provide some sort of structure and kind of continuity around that yeah there are many reasons for incontinence at different points across um, different age groups the most common reason in the kind of 30s 40s age group would be post-pregnancy incontinence for women when we then look at men the most common reason is um, following prostate surgery so we're much better at finding prostate cancer and treating it well now um, but sometimes people can experience incontinence after that so that so that then peaks spikes in that age group for men when they're sort of getting diagnosed and treated for prostate cancer in children a certain amount of children just experience things like bedwetting anyway and there's often this assumption that people will grow out of it and actually what we need to do is be sort of helping that earlier um, and getting those really good habits in place so constipation is a massive problem for children that leads to incontinence um, so actually good bladder and bowel health in those early years prevents those children becoming teenagers and adults with those problems that continue and then individual you know, sort of spinal injuries those kind of things that crop up tend to occur in the more men that are in their 20s 30s it's just a known thing and so that will always um have an issue with bladder and bowel control so there are just different reasons at different points along the life course as to why incontinence peaks in it, those times. Thinking about different communities that exist within Bristol, North Somerset and South Gloucestershire there's lots of different factors around kind of culture and language and taboo that was very eye-opening when we began to have some conversations around looking at who wasn't accessing our services and potentially why. So we, we sort of thought about doing a really interesting project looking at Somali women and why they potentially weren't accessing the bladder and bowel services and what barriers they might be facing. And one of the kind of key components to, to ensuring the success of that project was employing a colleague that worked currently in HealthLinks but was a really core member of the Somali community. So her knowledge about their culture and their community and just the barriers they face generally existing in our world in sense but also then around um, their language not having certain words that we would use to reference 
kind of continence issues, some of their kind of religious views around cleanliness and praying and how that can be really affected if they're having issues around continence, especially sort of urinary continence and not being clean. And that was incredibly eye-opening and something that we very much design services um, around the mass of our population but there's these pockets of people that really also need the support and help and we have a long way to go to really understanding how we can support those people in accessing our services. So we did some work around the experience of people who have bladder and bowel leakage during Covid looking at how that impacted their interaction with services because everything went very digital but we also looked at the impact of public toilet closures because that was necessary for Covid security and so It was a bit of a sort of a moment whereby people with bladder and bowel leakage reported, actually, I was at home and I was fine because I wasn't having to navigate the kind of things of being out and about and the the trouble there is with public toilets anyway. However, as things started to unlock, public toilets were really slow to um, unlock and everyone was really worried about um, hygiene. So this added a double barrier to people. They were kind of, everybody had been locked down and we were all kind of in the same boat, but they become very um, not in the same boat again at that time. And I had this quote that just sort of captures it where somebody said, it was fine because I was alone and in my home. And now it's not because I'm alone and in my home. And it's that isolating element that is just, it's so amplified for people with bladder and bowel leakage we all you know out and about need a toilet and you nip into a shop and that's fine but as those you know if they're not available that's that's not just a an inconvenience that's a lifeline and it's really difficult for people with bladder and bowel leakage um, to get out and about so the bladder and bowel service exists across the whole of bristol north somerset and south gloucestershire and provides a specialist service for people with um, bladder and bowel problems uh, and that could be constipation incontinence um, sort of broader um, symptoms the route into that service is not clear all the time so the first one way certainly is to present to your GP Um, and certainly nationally there are many of these services some accept self-referrals so you can ring up and make your own appointment Um, some you have to go through your GP in order to access that service and then you, you're signposted on to sort of stay with that service or go to more different specialist services such as a physiotherapist or back to your GP, for example. So it's, it's a problem in itself is the pathway isn't clear and it's going to be a future activity for Babcon. I think that the most problematic thing is that people don't know these services exist and that relates back to the fact that we don't talk about it enough to even know that these are problems that should be addressed. They're just normalised and sort of absorbed into daily life as it's what happens when. And that could be what happens when you've had a baby, what happens when you get older, what happens if you've had treatment for prostate cancer, that kind of normalisation. But there are definitely services available. The whole ethos of Babcon really is to improve the whole landscape, but through through quite distinct components. So we want to raise awareness that these symptoms are far more widespread and things can be done to improve symptoms we then want to look at improving self-help so education advice enabling people to do the things that they don't need to get from a specialist service necessarily that they can do much earlier on than wait until their symptoms have got so bad they can't ignore them any longer and then we want to focus on what the service provision actually looks like so are the services fit for purpose and how do people access services raising awareness about that Um, looking at the broader picture as well sort of it's not only healthcare but how that integrates with social care and looking across the whole patch and kind of just looking at how do we promote continence at every opportunity. The app was a huge collaborative effort, not only for the team Babcon sort of locally but also nationally. 
And I think what sort of made it such a success was that not only was their input from clinicians and academics and, and people who had real knowledge in the area, but that we absolutely had the voice of people with lived experience and they reviewed all of the content and helped us really understand what would be useful as a user of that app. So the things that people highlighted that they wanted in the app were for it to really explain the things that they could do, they could build into their daily life, just things that were really practical um, and that covered what is incontinence, why is it happening, what can I do about it? So the app includes really practical things like videos about how to do pelvic floor exercises led by a physiotherapist. So people who aren't in the system but can access that information. Like any muscle, your pelvic floor is responsible for continence. It's the, it's the bit that sits um, at the bottom and holds everything in, um, but is absolutely necessary for when you have that moment when you think you might leak, that you can tighten that muscle. So it needs to be exercised regularly and for a long period of time to make a difference. So it's... It, part of the app is about myth busting as well pelvic floor exercises don't work overnight it's about commitment to continuing those exercises lifelong um, but we know that if you commit to them they really can make a difference the app provides actual tips and tricks that you can do on a daily basis um, things like looking at diet and things you drink and eat and the time you drink and eat so really practical things that you can think oh, actually I might try cutting out caffeine and see if that makes a difference I might try what time of the day I drink until and see if that makes a difference is really tangible things that people can build into their daily lives it includes things like toilet map where where are toilets in your local area it includes links to reputable websites for further information uh, ways of finding out more and identifying with perhaps that community that more people are experiencing these symptoms so strategies to improve incontinence include bladder retraining you can retrain your bladder to hold a bit more if you get those moments where you absolutely have to rush off and go we can do a program of stretching the kind of bladder capacity and um, try to reduce that sense of urgency and got to go. And that's all described within the app. Carla, obviously incontinence was brand new to you when we started working together. How has that been, learning about incontinence? That I was completely overwhelmed when I started, I would say. It's, it's a, a world I knew nothing about. And um, you and the team came with such knowledge and passion that it really sort of sparked my interest in the area. And it was very eye-opening to hear sort of how many people it affected and how much of an impact that had on people's lives and therefore what potential there was that we could really make a difference and a change. And I think you you hear in the news or, you know, charities are set up around all of the big health kind of areas and topics. And this is one of those that really goes under the radar, but is so important and affect so many people so it was a really big learning curve for me absolutely at the beginning but um, I feel that you've sort of passed on your passion to me now and I'm absolutely an advocate in the area and then sort of try and raise awareness and, and plug it in as many possible places. We were actually at a conference the other day, weren't we, where I, I could hear you championing bladder and bowel <laughs> leakage and talking about the importance of it. And it was just like, oh, wow, that's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sort of become a real area of interest for me. I think I also learned that there's a lot that can be done sort of self-help before the need to, to seek kind of further additional support or more sort of healthcare 
support. And I think the app really kind of clearly outlines the kind of personal responsibility that people can take. And I think in a, in a way that's really empowering that there's something people can do, you know, wait lists are all full at the moment and it can be a long time till people can access services. But I think this, the kind of understanding that there's a lot that can be done in the meantime and that you can take some personal responsibility and some steps towards helping your own symptoms is a really positive message in the meantime while people are, are waiting to seek that further help. So the feedback that we have had, it's early days, but it's really encouraging. So from the personal perspective of people who've used the app, we've had lovely things like, thank you for helping me to regain my confidence and I didn't know why this was happening to me and now I know what I can do about it. And those kind of really practical comments that, you know, just make your heart sing because that's the whole reason we've wanted to do it. But also from people who work within bladder and bowel services, we've had lovely things like it's a game changer. They're using it while their patients are on a waiting list and saying, and you can use this app in the meantime, be doing something, you know, empowered to do something about that while you're waiting and not just sitting on a waiting list. So we've had services that are adopting it into their framework of recommendations um, across the country. Um, and there's a real appetite and enthusiasm. The comment I love to hear is we don't know why this didn't exist before. It's one of those, if something's a good idea, you kind of think somebody must have done it already, um, but it didn't exist. And it just fits such a niche um, for, for people both who experience symptoms and those who are struggling to try and manage you know with overwhelmed services people who experience those symptoms so you can download it wherever you normally get your apps um, it's widely available it's also available through the Bristol Health Partners website and we are trying to promote it far and wide in in many um, sort of different settings so not only through healthcare we've had it go out in our local libraries and we're including it in publications from community organisations it's about reaching the people who aren't already accessing health services. We've also had some feedback that it's not suitable for everybody to be able to access an app and so from that we've developed a sort of fold out Z card that contains all of the key information so that we can still provide it to people that are are digitally excluded. It's really about making sure that people know how to get into services and that once they're in they will progress appropriately to an earlier resolution or improvement of symptoms or better management plan rather than dotting back and forwards for a long time. And it's around people telling their story once and then the right doors opening and then that flow being straight through to whatever resolution needs to be found. Yeah, and certainly in sort of national reports I've been involved in, we know that people can spend 10 years within the pathway trying to get from the point of actually right, I can't cope with this any longer, which bearing in mind they've probably already been experiencing it for years, this is the breaking point, and then they can spend 10 years navigating the kind of options and right services and going back and forth. So another time point when incontinence can become sort of quite front and centre is during the menopause. Um, and often incontinence sort of becomes unmasked at that time with hormonal changes. And often people have been very busy up to that point, perhaps due to childbirth. And you've been busy with those children and it's kind of in that age group when it might become more of a noticeable problem or something that you can't ignore any longer. And when you've got a bit of time and space to actually do something about it, but it's recognising that things can be done about it not just kind of that's what happens when you're in the menopause and I, I'm delighted to see the focus on menopause at the moment but I think incontinence needs its time in the sun too. So the app's been a really good sort of first step in in helping people access that information and, and begin to raise awareness more around incontinence but we're very aware that there's a lot more that we need to do in the area and the ultimate goal is that then 
Bristol, North Somerset and South Gloucestershire will be an area of best practice for incontinence. So we would love it to be that other parts of the country look towards Bristol, North Somerset and South Gloucestershire to take learning and, and understand where patients and people living with these issues have the best experience.